When Dutch Schultz was 14 years old, his father abandoned the family, so Dutch dropped out of school in order to support himself and his mom. After working in a variety of odd jobs, none of which were particularly profitable, he began hanging around with some bad company. One thing led to another, until by the age of 17, he wound up in prison on a burglary charge. After he did his time, he ended up in a partnership in a speakeasy. Now, just to make sure the young people here know what we're talking about when we talk about a speakeasy, because the 18th Amendment to the Constitution from January 1920 till 1933, here in the United States, the sale, manufacture, and transportation of alcohol for the purpose of actually drinking it was banned. And since drinking alcohol was banned here in the U.S., that meant that bars were illegal, and if they're serving alcohol... And so they got this nickname, these illegal bars got a nickname of speakeasies. So anyway, in the middle 20s, Dutch went into partnership with a childhood friend, and they had a, a speakeasy, an illegal bar. And with their profits, they began to open other beer joints. And then in a move to save money, they bought their own trucks to truck in beer from New Jersey. Then in order to make even more money, they decided to supply beer to their competitors, all the other speakeasies. In fact, it was a kind of sales deal where you either find yourself buying beer from a Dutch and his partner, or you find yourself hanging by your thumbs from a meat hook as they were beating it into you. It was kind of a, uh, a sales technique that really increased business. Uh, finally, they controlled the entire beer supply for the Bronx, and then they expanded into Manhattan's Upper West Side, which precipitated a war with another gang that had been controlling the beer in that part of town. Anyway, you end up with a lot of gun battles and plenty of dead gangsters spread here and there over the years, including finally Dutch's partner, so he becomes the unrivaled head of his own gang. After Prohibition ended his huge beer profits, he expanded another criminal enterprise as illegal gambling, strong-arming restaurant owners to pay dues to his gang. When he discovered one of his own gangsters was stealing from the gang's ill-gotten gains, a real feature of his character came out. Dutch invited the thief out to dinner. So they're sitting there having dinner. He's got his lawyer there, this guy that he's suspicioning has been stealing from, and another gangster. And uh, the lawyer describes what happened next. Quote, Dutch Schultz was ugly. He'd been drinking. Suddenly he had his gun out and pulled the trigger. It was as simple and undramatic as that. Just one quick motion of the hand. The Dutchman did that murder just as casually as if he were picking his teeth. Close quote. And as the man lay there, dying on the floor, Schultz apologized to the lawyer for having killed someone in front of him. All in all, Schultz was just a cold-blooded, murderous thug. On the night of October 23, 1935, ripe old age of 33, Dutch Schultz, along with three of his associates, were sitting in a restaurant in Newark, New Jersey, when gangsters from a Jewish mob called Murder Incorporated gunned them down. Dutch was taken to the Newark City Hospital with terrible internal wounds from a 45 slug. And now if you're wondering why are we having true crime stories, we'll get to the point of today's sermon. While he was still coherent, Dutch Schultz sent for a Catholic priest. And here's the point of the story. See, Dutch Schultz's real name was Arthur Fliegenheimer. He's Jewish, raised in an Orthodox Jewish family. And he called for a priest because he was dying, and he wanted to die as a Catholic. 
So Father Cornelius McInerney arrived, baptized Dutch Schultz, and gave him the last rites. And not long afterwards, Dutch slipped into a coma and died. A murderous thug and a gang leader baptized just before he departed this life. Now remember the effects of baptism, the infallible teaching of the Council of Trent. Quote, if anyone denies that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is conferred in baptism, the guilt of original sin is remitted, or even asserts that all sin is not taken away, let him be anathema, close quote. So baptism remits all the guilt of original sin and all the guilt of actual sin. All of it. Every last sin, every last stain on this gangster's soul, all of it washed away. And not only is washed away of this incredible burden of sin, but all the time to punishment due to sin is washed away. No purgatory time whatsoever. Gates of heaven are open to this sinner. He's strengthened by last rites and he dies. That's the eleventh hour. How great and mysterious are the mercies of God. In today's gospel, we hear the story of the laborers. They're hired to work in the vineyard at the first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and finally those hired at the eleventh hour. Yet they all receive equal pay. That great doctor of the church, St. Robert Bellarmine, points out that the equality in pay here means that each labor is given an equality of eternity but not an equality of glory or excellence. As St. Augustine says, quote, Eternal life is given to all, but there are many mansions for them, and one are shine with more splendor than another, close quote. St. Augustine also says, quote, Thou hast seen fit to pay an equal wage of life, but not of glory. And so to all is given the same penny, because all the saints will reign without end, although not all will reign with the same eminence. In the same way, it's common to all the stars in the sky to glow perpetually, even though some sparkle more brightly than others. Close quote, St. Augustine, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. Now, some might be tempted to think, along with the workers in the parable, that it's not fair. A gangster like Dutch Schultz gets a straight shot to heaven and we have to struggle. But it's easy to see how to answer that sort of objection if we take a moment to step back and look at the situation a little differently. Remember, that we're all born dead, supernaturally speaking. We're all born children of wrath. We're all born natural-born enemies of God. And that didn't change until we're supernaturally born again in the waters of baptism. In Dutch Schultz's case, that just happened a lot later in life than it did for most of us. After all, most of us were baptized, were given supernatural life a few days after our birth, weren't we? In other words, most of us were hired to work in the vineyard at the first hour. And how have we shown God our undying gratitude for this priceless gift? Have we preserved our baptismal innocence spotlessly? How many of us have relentlessly kept striving to give glory to God in all our acts and by this means to sanctify our souls? How many of us have been totally faithful workers in his vineyard? St. Robert Bellman comments on this precise point, quote, As St. Augustine says, God crowns his own gifts, not our merits. 
God crowns his own gifts, not our merits. This means that eternal life does not constitute a reward for works that are ours by our own efforts, but rather a reward for works that are ours by the grace of God. So that this might be understood, God willed to bestow eternal life on those who had labored much and on those who had labored little, that those who labor much may not glory in their own strength. Close quote, St. Robert Bellarmine, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. God crowns his own gifts, not our merits. It means that eternal life does not constitute a reward for works that are ours by our own efforts, but rather those for works that are ours by the grace of God. So this might be understood, God willed to bestow eternal life on those who had labored much and on those who had labored little, that those who labor much may not glory in their own strength. So the answer is, of course Dutch Schultz didn't deserve it. Of course he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it at all. But neither do we. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of God's mercy. We don't deserve God's mercy. We can't deserve God's mercy. But Father, that gangster might very well get a higher place in heaven than one of us. Yeah, he might. And what of it? Thank God for his great mercy. St. Paul made it right up near her. Don't forget, he started out as an old days equivalent of a strong arm enforcer for the Pharisees on a mission to take out Catholics, didn't he? The story of Dutch Schultz should fill us with joy and wonders at the mercy of God. It should fill us with hope and great hope, supreme confidence that irregardless of how rough a life someone might be leaving, maybe one of our friends or relatives or enemies, there's still hope for his salvation. We all have friends. We all have relatives. We all have enemies that are not living godly lives. But we should never give up hope. Never. Never give up hope. Never. We should glorify God for his mercy and pray that he showers his mercy on all, on us, on our friends, on our relatives, on our enemies. Remember, Our Lady of Fatima told the children that many souls go to hell because there's no one to pray and offer sacrifices and penances for them. Let that not be said of us. If we want to be faithful workers in the vineyards of the Lord, we have to strive that that not be said of us. Let's close this morning with an act of hope. Please unite yourself to this prayer. Oh, my God, relying on that almighty power and infinite mercy and promises, I hope to obtain part of my sins, the help of thy grace, and life everlasting through the merits of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Redeemer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.